Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. It's the Sunday that that comes before the season of Lent as we join Jesus and his disciples uh, on that holy mountain where Christ is lifted up and glows in his glory among them. And so today we're going to read two texts, uh, first from the Old Testament about Moses, which is kind of a similar story, and then we'll read from Matthew 17, uh, the story of the Transfiguration. So I invite you to hear these words of Scripture. They're printed there in your bulletin, or of course they're on the screens as well. Uh, Receive again today uh, the words of God, beginning with Exodus 24, 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone, with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. And so Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on the Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud, and he went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. And then from the Gospel according to Matthew in 17. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, And one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and they were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and he touched them and he said, Get up, do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus and himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. Amen. Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Holy God, we ask that your spirit would be among us. Surely we have already tasted your goodness this morning as we've gathered to sing and praise, as we've shared in fellowship and prayer, as we've made our gifts. God, as we turn our attention to the reading and teaching of scriptures, we ask that your spirit would be through and in these words, perhaps in the words of scripture, perhaps in my words, perhaps despite of my words. God, we ask that you would be among us today, that you would lift up our hearts, that we might for a moment Be there with Peter, James, and John. Be there in your presence, knowing your goodness, grace, and love. God, we come today seeking forgiveness and healing, seeking wholeness and goodness and care. No matter how it is that we come today, we pray that you would meet us, that you would guide us, that you would continue to fill our lives with your love. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
some 50 million years old and some 400 light years away. You may remember this past Tuesday was Valentine's Day. Unfortunately, it was a gray and cold and rainy day. In fact, Jill and I canceled our plans to go to dinner. It was so nasty, we just stayed in. Waited for the rain to pass about 8 or 9 o'clock. That front finally moved out, which meant it was time to walk the dog, right? That's what I have to do after it quits raining. And so the dog and I went on our usual route. We often go around the edge of the golf course. Sometimes we go out to a few of those farm fields that are most near our house, or we go out into the middle of the fairways at the golf course. This particular evening, that front was on its way out, and it was moving quickly, and you could see the clouds just flying overhead. And so I turned off my headlamp, and I looked up, and as the clouds were moving, you could see the stars. And so I recognized a few of the constellations. I'm not particularly good at seeing or recognizing those, so I got my phone out, and it helps to locate some of the most important or some of the most uh, well-known constellations, some of the key stars. Then you can click on them, and you can see how old they are and what we know about them. Some of them dated to 50 million years ago, the light years, some 400 light years away. And so there it was, Tuesday evening, Valentine's night. The storm had come through, the ground was soggy, but the sky was clear, and I just had this sort of feeling of awe and shock and holy fear, dumbfounded all over again to see those stars and to think about God who created all the things that we know in in this world, the things that we know in our lives, but, but also all of these things that lie so far above and beyond us. 50 million years ago, 400 light years away, Thinking about Genesis 1 and 2, the way in which God formed creation, the order in which God did so, the way in which God took the dirt and and made us into little humans and breathed life into us. Thinking about Colossians 1 and John 1 where it says that Jesus Christ was in all things, that Jesus Christ was before creation and in creation. And there me and the dog on the soggy grass just had a little moment of worship on Tuesday night. The tradition in the the Celtic uh, language is to call those sorts of moments and those sorts of experiences thin places, T-H-I-N, thin places. Again, from the Celtic tradition, they use that language to describe the moments in our, our lives or the places that we might go to that are thin places, thin in the sense that there is a distance between ourselves and eternity, that there is a distance between the natural world and the eternal world, that there is a distance between ourselves and God. But there are moments where that distance is narrowed, thin places, places where God's presence and God's goodness, God's grace is especially clear to us, is profound to us, places where we feel compelled to worship There are thin places, there are essays and books you can read about people's experiences in thin places, places where they have felt the nearness of God in new and unique ways. Some people talk about uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, a big, beautiful Catholic cathedral where you can go and sense the holy awe in that place. Other people talk about places that are outdoors, right? You go to the ocean side or you go to a, a beautiful mountainside and you sense God's presence is new and real. For other people, it may be simple things, right, like This morning, waking up and having a cup of coffee in the still, silent moments of the opening of a new day. In thin places, we are drawn near to God and God's presence is made real to us. It doesn't happen all the time. Perhaps sometimes it happens in worship, right? We would like for that to be the case on Sunday, that as you enter into worship, as you gather here and sing songs and pray, as you go to special services like Christmas and Easter, maybe even weddings or funeral, that in those holy moments you feel the presence of God near to us 
in unique and new ways, thin places. Today we read the story of the transfiguration. This is one of the great stories in the New Testament and the Gospels. It's in all four Gospels, which of course we would take to mean that it's pretty important. Today we read from Matthew 17, so we're, we're quite a ways into the story of Jesus. I mean, this is well into the Gospel of Matthew. And it's kind of an odd story, right? It, we don't get a lot of details. It just says that Peter took, I'm sorry, that Jesus took his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they went up on a mountain to pray. We think maybe it's Mount Tabor, but it's not entirely clear. The details don't seem to be real important. What's important, of course, is what happens when they get there. So Jesus, the three disciples, they gather on the mountain, and in this shocking moment, Jesus is lifted up, and his face begins to shine like the sun, and his clothes turn to a dazzling white. And then we hear this magnificent voice, right? God the Father, it sort of reminds us of Jesus' baptism. God the Father speaks down and says, This is my Son, the Beloved, the One whom I love. Listen to Him. Now there's Jesus and there's Peter and James and John. It's a fairly small crowd. The only other two figures that are mentioned in the story, of course, are Moses and Elijah. Why are Moses and Elijah there? Well, their stories kind of share some similarities with this story, all right? We just read from Exodus 24 about Moses. There are a few different times where Moses goes and has a, a private meeting, a private conversation with God. This is the one that we often uh, associate with Moses on Mount Sinai. I hope you heard there in the context, he, he says, I'm going to go up to the mountain for a few days. If you have any problems, you can talk to Aaron. Aaron's kind of the second in charge. I'm going to go up on the mountain and I'm going to get a word from God. And so this is the image on the left here. There are many paintings, many renderings of this scene. It says that as Moses goes up on the mountain that God's presence is there in the cloud, right? The cloud is over the mountain. But then as, as Moses draws near, God's presence turns into a devouring fire. And it's so bright that those who are in the valley, the people of Israel, can see God's presence in the fire on the mountain with Moses. Now, we often associate Moses with the first few books of the Old Testament. Sometimes we just summarize those as, as the law, right? The law. Moses and the first few books, the earliest stories of Israel, the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments, as well as the law we get in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So this scene from Moses on the mountain and the holy fire, the one who gives the law from God. The other figure who's there with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration is Elijah. Elijah, of course, his story is recorded in First and Second Kings. He's one of the key prophets. He's kind of the face of the prophets. When we think about the prophets, sort of the, the second half of the book of the Old Testament, we think about Isaiah and Jeremiah. We think about Amos and Micah. Elijah is sometimes sort of the face of the prophets. When we say Elijah, we're sort of summarizing all the prophets. The story of Elijah is unique in Second Kings 2 because he has a similar sort of experience. As Elijah's life is ending, he's giving his mantle over to Elisha, who's going to follow him. And Elijah asks for a, a double portion of his spirit. It's a, it's a wonderful scene. And as they're talking and walking, Elijah is lifted up in a fire, in a fiery chariot. And Elijah goes up, goes up into, into heaven. He ascends to be near to God. And Elisha takes over the role, the prophetic work. So we have these two figures, these kind of faces of the Old Testament. Moses, who is the law, who went on the holy mountain in the fire of God to receive God's word and God's law. Elijah, who is the prophet, who ascends into God's presence in a fire. 
And they've come here to worship Jesus. The point of the transfiguration story is, is like, if there's any doubt, if there's any confusion, if there's any wonder about who Jesus is, this story should clear it up. Jesus is the Son of God. He is superior to all other revelations of God that have come before. Even Moses and Elijah, two very important figures, even they submit themselves and their work and their ministry to Jesus. Jesus is it. Jesus is God's presence made known in a new and unique and profound way. Jesus is the Son of God. And Peter, James, and John are given just this little short glimpse of what it's like to see Jesus in all of his glory and goodness. Now, Peter concludes, like I think most of us would, Peter says, holy cow, this is the greatest moment ever. We should stay here for a long time. He says, I think what I'll do is I'm going to make three altars, right? You can just see Peter's mind working. He's always thinking ahead. I'm going to make an altar for Jesus. I'm going to make an altar for Elijah. I'm going to make an altar for Moses. And we're just going to stay here and worship forever and ever. Jesus isn't this wonderful. And then it's over. Now, of course, we should be sympathetic to Peter because Peter, I think, says what all of us would say. Holy cow, this is great to be in the presence of Jesus in this way. Today on Transfiguration Sunday, I kind of want to invite you, similar to as Angela did with the children, I wonder in your life, have you had moments where God's presence, where the presence of Jesus was particularly real, was particularly intense, when you could sense that you were in the the glory of Christ? Those moments for me don't come real often, but I can think of a few, right, thin places where God's presence was made known to me, where I was in sort of holy awe of who God is and what God has done in Jesus. Walking around in the dark Tuesday night, looking up at the stars. Maybe the first time I held my children or saw my children. I've been with people at at their deathbed. I've been with people as they've died. Those are thin places, holy places. I wonder what sort of holy places you've experienced as I was thinking about this, this theme this week and thinking about moments in my life where I've known the presence of God in a, in a profound way, I couldn't help but think to go back to my teenage years and my college years. It seemed at, th- at that time like my spirit was especially sort of anxious about being near to God and drawing near to God, growing in my discipleship. Uh, you all may not know this. I play the guitar very, very little. I play like three or four chords. But actually for most Christian worship songs, all you need are three or four chords, right? And so I could play a few chords, and I learned to play this song on the left. Some of you will remember it. Lord, I humbly kneel, hidden in you. Lord, you are my life. I don't mind to die just as long as I'm hidden in you. If I could just sit with you a while, if you could just hold me, nothing could touch me. Though I'm wounded, though I die, if I could just sit with you a while. I remember singing that song and singing it so earnestly when I was 18, 19, 20, right? Just to be in God's presence. Just to let the worries and the chaos of the world sort of subside. Just to know the comfort and the joy that God is God, that Jesus Christ has saved me. If you could just hold me, if I could just sit there. You may or may not be aware of a a young guy named Tyler Childers. He sings uh, sort of country folk music. Uh, He's fairly new in terms of the public scene. He's growing in his popularity. His concerts are getting larger. I'm particularly fond of his music and that style of music. His most recent album is a gospel album. 
Uh, he's from Kentucky and West Virginia, Appalachia, and so a lot of his music kind of sounds like that region. This gospel album, he, he makes some old songs uh, sound new again, and he sings about the faith that he knew growing up in that area. He sings about, uh, can my hounds go to heaven, right? Can my dogs go to heaven with me? Uh, he sings about the old church that he grew up in. He sings about the angel band that we will know on the other side of eternity. One particular song that I like is called The Way of the Triune God, where he says, Fit me for the builder's use, use me for the great commission, as it was and always will, as it is. I'm here to witness that old time screaming and a shouting, go up and tell it on the mountain. Faith too strong to be left out in the way of the triune God. Now that's a toe stomper, all right? Some of you grew up in little churches like that, right? Where sometimes we would sort of get excited in worship and we would sing with enthusiasm and joy, right? Take me up to the mountain. Take me into God's presence where I can scream and shout about what God has done in my life. This is the scene in Transfiguration. The invitation to draw near to God, to know Christ's presence in a real and new and profound way. As we think about this story, I want to do just a little bit deeper dive in terms of the context. In particular, there are two clues that I want you to be aware of in today's scripture reading. The first thing that we read as we read Matthew 17 verse 1 was these three words, six days later. Now that should be a, a cue for us as we're reading, six days later, meaning the thing that we're about to read is tied to the thing that we just read, right? What's going to happen in the next few verses has to do with the verses who, that came before it. So if you flipped over in your Bible to Matthew 16, if you went back just a few verses before, the thing that happened six days ago was this. Jesus began to teach his disciples that he would be put to death and that he would be resurrected. Now, if you think of sort of the, the projection of the story of Jesus, and you think about the way in which it grows, right? He's growing in his ministry, he's growing in his disciples, he's teaching and healing. And then in Matthew 16, there's sort of this shocking moment where Jesus tells his disciples, yeah, but... I'm actually going to die. I'm going to be put to death. I will be resurrected, but you need to follow me and you need to take up your cross and, and go with me. So Matthew 16 is a really shocking and, and sort of terrible revelation, right? That this thing that's happening in Jesus is going to end in a dark and difficult way. And then in Matthew 17, we get the story of the transfiguration. Those two go together, right? In Matthew 16, it's the warning about what's about to happen. And then in Matthew 17, it's this high, holy moment of worship. Whereas Jesus is lifted up, the Father speaks down and says, This is my Son. Listen to Him. Well, listen to Him what? Listen to what He just told you. I'll be put to death, and you should follow me. In other words, Matthew 16 and 17 sort of go hand in hand. Matthew 17 is, is God's uh, announcement, God's, God's uh, clarifying for us who Jesus is, but also God reminding those disciples that this, this moment on the mountain will not last. Right? It's temporary. Yes, come and worship, come and taste the goodness of God, come and see Jesus revealed in all of his glory, but know that there are difficult days ahead, namely Christ's crucifixion. In fact, if you read ahead to Matthew 26, you will see an even deeper connection. In Matthew 26, this is where Jesus goes to Gethsemane to pray in preparation for his betrayal. And as he's praying there in Gethsemane, he invites who to come with him? Peter, James, and John. The same disciples who are with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration who witness his glory and goodness are the same disciples who go with Jesus in his deep, dark hour. Do you see the connection? 
right? Moments of, of holy worship, moments of, of, of thin places, moments where we know God's goodness and grace, they are often preparing us for, for the valleys that come next. In fact, I think you can kind of see this pattern across the Gospels. Just, just kind of imagine with me the way the Gospels work, right? We have the birth of Jesus. We have the, the announcements of the angels. We have the faith of Mary, right? That's a high, holy moment. The, the choir, the shepherds, I mean, it's all there. And then we have Jesus' first 30 years, which we don't know a whole lot about. And then we get Jesus' baptism. Again, a high, holy moment. The Trinity is there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then Jesus moves forth from his baptism to the wilderness, eventually to his ministry with the public. Then we have today the transfiguration, a high holy moment where God's presence is made known. But we know what's next is the crucifixion. What comes after the crucifixion? Of course, Easter and the resurrection. But then following that's a whole lot of confusion. Before eventually we have Pentecost. And then we have the sort of persecution of the church. There's kind of this up and down pattern, right? Moments on the mountain where God's glory is known, where we experience God's goodness and grace. Grand moments, but often next is a moment of, of trial. Perhaps we have seen that in our own lives, right? We long to draw near to God. We long to know God's presence and goodness. We, we long to taste and see, as the psalmist says. But we also know that on the other side of that mountain is often a valley. And when we join that pattern, we kind of join in the path of discipleship that Jesus talked about. Come up to the mountain and worship, but also take up your cross and follow me. As I was preparing this week, thinking about this pattern in, in my life and maybe in the life of yours, I was thinking about ways in which this plays out in our world. And, and there's no more profound example uh, than the speech Martin Luther King Jr. gave in Memphis in 1968, the day before he was assassinated. Of course, King is a gifted preacher, speaker, rhetorician. But I want you to hear in this final paragraph, in his final speech, the way in which he brings together these themes of, of mountaintop glory and the challenges of the valley. These are King's words. I don't know what will happen now. We've got difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I have been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. I'm not concerned about that now. I want to do God's will. And he has allowed me to go up to the mountain. I've looked over. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to that promised land and I'm happy tonight, I'm not worried about anything, not fearing any man, for mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. King in this moment really captures kind of this sense of discipleship that comes in the transfiguration. I've gone to the mountain, I've seen the glory of God, my faith is, is so clear, right? I have total confidence in who God is and what God will do, even though I know that between now and there are some valleys below. And because I've been to the mountain, I can trust God in the valleys too. We can go to the low places. We can go to the places of difficulty and even death. Knowing that God's glory and God's comfort awaits us on the other side of this life. Today as we celebrate Transfiguration Sunday, I want you to hear two things real clearly. First of all, I want to invite you, encourage you, challenge you to seek out those thin places in your own life. I don't know that we can necessarily orchestrate them. We can't make them happen for us, but we can be attuned. We can be aware. Where are the places where I feel most close to God? Where are the places where God's presence is made real to me? Is it in quiet time? Is it in prayer? Is it in the natural world? Is it here at church in worship? It's okay to seek out and to want to experience those thin places. Second, though, you should know this. 
that just as often as we're drawn up into the, the mountaintop glory of God, so too are we prepared and sent forth to go to the valley. And in the valley is where we take up our cross, where we follow Jesus, where we partner with him, even on our most difficult and challenging days. The mountain and the valley, the glory and the grief, they go together in our lives of discipleship at all times. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oftentimes when I end my sermon, I end in a prayer, and that gives the band the chance to get up here. So I'm going to go, you didn't know that's what we did there, did you? I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come on up, and as they're coming up, today we put it up put a prayer in the bulletin for us to join in together on this Transfiguration Sunday, kind of a shared response as we uh, collect our own thoughts and focus our own spirit on these themes of transfiguration. And so I'm going to invite you to join with me in the bulletin, not only me praying, but you praying with me. And after we conclude this prayer, we'll stand and sing together. Will you join me in the prayer printed there before you? Holy One, We come before you, many of us feeling like we have climbed only a short distance and there is so much ahead of us to get to the point that we might be dazzled by the divine. Our loads are heavy with worry, regret, fatigue, illness, and despair for all in the world that is hurting, in danger, in bondage, and more. We trudge ahead, following you, stumbling, hoping, praying. Some of us are nimble and skipping. Lead us, Lord, to the top of the mountain, where we might rest in your light and experience the sheer delight of your presence and grace. We pray this for ourselves, for one another, and for the worlds in which we live. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.